Cincinnati jersey all on the block we get it in Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined by someone new this week. Given that Hummer is off cheering on, or was cheering on, the Cincinnati Bearcats and St. Thomas for the Paradise Jam this week, podcast mercenary, I'll call you, Scotty Whitehouse, former editor of Down the Drive, has decided and, and agreed to join the podcast this week. Thank you, Scotty. How are you doing today, sir? Well, I'm doing okay. In honor of Hummer, I was going to come on and say, it's a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat basketball fan. And I still think it is. But we got a lot of stuff to discuss. I have to admit, I'm a, I'm a little bit rattled going into this podcast. For those listening, we are recording this immediately after the Cincinnati Bearcats lost to the Bowling Green Falcons. Scotty, what did that final score end up being? Final score, 91-84 in overtime. A very tough, frustrating loss on a lot of different accounts. I think there's only one place to start this conversation, and that's with the reigning AAC Player of the Year, Jaron Cumberland, and what we saw down the stretch Closing this game, we were at one point up about eight points with, I think, a little more than three minutes to go in the game. But at that point, it was, I, no, I started realizing Jaron Cumberland's only played a few minutes in the second half. And at the end, once at the end of regulation, Jaron, I think, had played a total of nine minutes in the second half of the game and didn't close out the, uh, close out the game uh, when we needed him most. And another very curious decision by John Brannon, especially because Jaron ended up coming back in the game in overtime. Scotty, what did you notice in the second half, especially as it related to Jaron Cumberland? Well, it's funny you mentioned you noticed it a little bit before I did, and I was taking some notes. And it was, uh, uh, let's see, it was two minutes and thirty-one seconds to go in the second half, and I. I was so into the game itself and and just noting plays that I really honestly was not paying attention to personnel. And I I wrote down Jaron question mark. And then at 156, I wrote still no Jaron question mark. And then I wrote 20 seconds left to go in the game and I circled it and I put a big star instead, still no Jaron. And then I wrote in overtime with four minutes and 10 seconds to go, Jaron just coming in question mark exclamation point. I don't even know what to make of it. I first thought, well, did he get hurt? Was there something going on? Um, you know, he because he, he went out of the game in the first half and um, thought, you know, maybe that fall started. Maybe you know, if he you know, hurt maybe a calf or something, that it, it started to swell up or you know, kind of harden up a little bit, and he wasn't able to go. Um, but then he came in, and you cannot give the injury excuse anymore. I don't think you can. It opens up a can of worms that, that have to be discussed and not just on a, on a fan level. I mean, the good thing about this podcast is it's very fan-oriented. We're completely on the outside here. I don't really have things like scoops or, or sources to, to refer to typically. Um, but when you bench Jaron for what I would say is the second time this year, you've benched Jaron Cumberland in the second half of a game because at the end of the Drake game is when we first noticed that he stayed on the bench. And unfortunately, at that time, Jer- uh, Brandon was not actually pushed on what was going on there. It was it was kind of a blowout. 
You could justify it by saying, hey, he probably wanted to get some looks for the young guys. But the next game, Jaron Cumberland didn't play basketball. And so we see the same thing happen tonight. He doesn't play a lot of minutes in the second half. You hear some, you know, our source, our correspondent out in uh, St. Thomas, Hummer. He's telling, you know, I'm reading reports about Jaron Cumberland with his uh, head in his hands. He looks exasperated on the bench. And once you start, once he comes back in and plays in overtime, I can't, I can't deal with the injury excuse at that point. So I really am looking forward to hearing what John Brandon has to say about the situation. And full transparency, I'm really nervous about where this is heading. That relationship is critical to our long, long-term success. Jaron Cumberland operating on all cylinders is critical to our long-term, long-term success. And him not playing minutes is, uh, is not a good place to start. Well, I don't know what to make of it. So so when I look at the first half of the game, Jaron was playing well. There really wasn't anything I saw that was glaring of, you know, I, I noticed I noticed in the Drake game, I noticed even in the Ohio State game, and I certainly noticed it in the exhibition game, Jaron just, that excitement was not there. I, I even kind of, uh, we do the Down the Drive podcast, and I noted, I said, I think he is frustrated that the offense isn't setting up for his ISO looks, his, you know, it's the Jaron show. And this offense is not that. It's going to give multiple players open looks, and whoever has the best shot is going to take it. But that was not the case in the beginning of this game. And I even was listening to the pregame, and Brandon was on with Mo Egger, and Brandon was talking about literally – Minutes before the game, and I know the game is pre-recorded. Most likely, was happened today. He's talking about how he's got to get the ball more in Jaron's hand because if a guy who's scoring fifty-six percent of his possessions, you got to get that ball in his hands every single time. And I thought, well, this is great. This is what we need. Jaron had a couple of shots. I was like, oh my god, that's the old Jaron. I love it. Drives all that stuff. So I don't know what happened. I don't know if there was at halftime he said something. I, I, there's going to be a lot that comes out of this. I'm, I'm, I'm more shocked than anything right now. Shocked is a great word for it. It, it can largely go unnoticed early in the season and kind of forgiven. You know, I, I think by and large the fan base took the side of John Brandon on that first game suspension. Yes, um, I'm not even going to call it. It's not a suspension. He benched him for the game. You know, it, it was mm-hmm. a coach's decision to not play Jaron Cumberland. He doesn't have the benefit of the doubt anymore, and you don't get the benefit of the doubt when your team blows a 12-point first-half lead to Bowling Green and yeah. ends up and, and allows 91 points. Not much worked in this game, and if we're going to, you know, before we kind of get into the macro picture for the Bearcats going forward, it's also worth noting that a big factor down the stretch for us not closing this game out was the fact that the opposing team was able to go hack a shack, hack a McNeil and foul our point guard because he only shot 10 of 21 from the free throw line. I am on the record before the season started expressing concern over the field goal percentage and three point percentage and just general shooting challenges that Chris McNeil brought to the table. We saw that first Thomas Moore exhibition game. It looked quite different from what the percentages showed. Uh, he was making shots. Uh, his his rhythm looked exceptional on the offensive end, and that matched up with everything we heard preseason about his leadership, about his commitment, about his 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 hard work in practice. Unfortunately, that's not translating to games. He is not a reliable shooter. His free throws that is a disaster. If you have a, if you have a lead ball handler 
who cannot knock down free throws at a reasonable clip, and I'll, I'll call reasonable 70%, which is still not a great percentage. No. Um, if he can't do that, it's hard to give him minutes, honestly. Um, I don't know if there's much more to say, but uh, you know the Chris McNeil shooting challenges, how do you, how do you feel about all that? So I wrote down a stat, and I started it. Uh, I can tell you I started in the first four minutes was Chris McNeil's missed finishes that's kind of what i wrote it down um and he had four already in the first half alone i was starting to jot it down where he's driving the lane he's going up and just complete i mean not they these aren't like you know reverse unbelievable these are just easy buckets that he needs to finish on he missed it in total for the team, after the four, he had two additional ones in the second half. And as a total, we had four other players had just, or um, excuse me, five other players just did not finish. You're underneath the basket. I'm, when I'm talking about finishing, completely underneath the basket. No, it's, there's, there's just really maybe one defender, if anything. The ball should just a nice little layup or put back. Completely unfinished. And my thoughts on Chris McNeil are, are this, is that, if he can learn to finish, he is putting himself in the position to be an unbelievable scorer for us. He has wide open three-point shots. He has wide open takes. He's just missing these shots. And the other thing was, as we talked about the free throws, we went into the bonus at 10 minutes and 32 seconds to go in the second half. That's a lot of time to be in the bonus. And from that point on, we went, uh, let's see, we went 10, we, I'm sorry, we missed 13 and we only made 10. So that's 13 points that I was counting and I probably didn't even get to all of them on that second half um, in the bonus. That doesn't even count on our shooting fouls. Those are straight bonus free throws. Something has got to change with that. I mean, that is, it's mind boggling. Again, the word is shocked, shocked at that. Uh, I don't know what else to say about it, but. Other than that, he it, if Chris McNeil can just finish, he's going to be unbelievable. Here's the problem: Chris McNeil is a fifth-year senior, and so if in in terms of what happens this season, there is no long-term prospect with Chris McNeil as it relates yeah. to the Cincinnati Bearcats. Yeah. His his finishing is not going to get better as the season goes on. There might be marginal improvements. You know, I don't expect him to shoot sub. 30% or in the 30% range year long overall. I suspect his three point percentage might hang around that mark, uh, but he's not going to magically get better at finishing the ball. And in today's style of basketball, and especially the type of offense John Brandon claims he wants to play, and, and I, it's not just a claim, he wants to play this style of basketball. I see Mick Cronin's players attempting to execute a new, fast, yeah. faster paced uh, balls popping around the perimeter quicker, and it's a little more free flowing. The problem is, if McNeil can't shoot, Chris Vogt certainly can't shoot. Keith Williams is not really is not a confident jump shooter, and Trey Scott's not letting it loose either from the perimeter. So your starting lineup only includes one surefire shooter, Jaron Cumberland, and that guy is not trusted by John Brandon right now. It appears <laughs> <laughs> we're not even sure John Brandon wants to play Jaron Cumberland at this it's point. It's the so ultimate paradox. We have an incredible, <laughs> we have Houston. We have a problem. Uh, I'm, I'm concerned about this situation uh, as it relates to Chris McNeil, because if he loses confidence, which when you go 10 of 21 from the free throw line and in a sense, cost your team the game, because if he had just knocked down a few free throws, we win the game. 
Yeah. Um, if anybody knocks down free throws, we win the game. Everybody was going one for one or, or, or one of two. Every There was not a single free throw shooter, I don't think, in the last seven or eight minutes that went two for two on the free throw line. That's they all true just, as well. It's crazy. He's not alone. I mean, Jaron Cumberland only went um, two yep. for six from the free throw line. It's it's yep. a team wide issue. He is the he was the biggest issue tonight, given the the pure volume. Um, but it's going to snowball. I mean, this is it's an interesting question, right? Like if if Chris McNeil knocks down a few free throws, we close out the game. Brandon may be able to bury this this Jaron Cumberland situation. Is saying, hey, you know, he tweaked something. And uh, we just wanted to make sure he was right for the next game. And it moves on. The fan base is fine. We completely understand. Instead, now we're talking about Jaron Cumberland being potentially benched for the second second half this season, as well as an entire game. So it's a, it was a, it's a potential fork in the road moment for the Bearcats season. Unfortunately, it came against the Bowling Green Falcons. I would have never expected that. No, and again, we did it without their best player uh, we, we we did all of this i mean just fumbling and bumbling again and they had turner out in like the start of the second half um the just the, the i don't understand john putting him in i'm sorry going back to the cumberland i'm just still this is so fresh it's oh. so hard for me it's going to take me a while to understand why do you put him in if you're going to go down the route and you're going to die on that hill and say, hey, if you're not playing my game, I'm not starting you. And then he realizes, oh, my God, this game is getting away from me. I, I'm not playing you. I I, I got to play him. I got to I got to get you in. You just I don't know what hill you're trying to die on there. Well, you're just, not. You're not actually, it looks panic. It looks panic. Yes. You know, yes. you know, you could have you could have continued being the coach. We're all we're speculating here. And I'll, I'll put that disclaimer on this. But I don't know what else to think. You. He didn't. He played nine minutes in the second half, and then came in with four minutes to go in overtime. He didn't even come back in right in the, at the start of overtime. So instead of being the coach who is sending a message, I have a hard line where we expect this, and if I don't get this, then you're not gonna you're not gonna keep playing basketball. But instead, it's it's a, a potential. It, it appears panicky outside looking in, which is yep. all we have at this point. That's- I wrote down in my notes at three minutes and 29 seconds to go into the overtime. Jaron comes in first possession, drives the lane, almost makes the the foul shot um, or almost makes the layup, gets fouled. And I started laughing out loud. I was like, we could have had this the entire second half. And it just was gone. I don't know where it went. So he came in and immediately changed the game, was was hustling. And I don't know if he woke up. I, I, I don't know. I, I just don't. I don't get it. There was a lot of opportunities to missed. Um, I've got a lot of notes where chance to go up 11 instead down four. I have a lot of these chance to uh, three minutes, 10 seconds, had a chance to be up 12 with the game. Instead, only up eight, up seven, two minutes, 31 seconds to go. Now we're only up three with one minute and 19 seconds to go. So from three minutes and 10 seconds to go in the game, Basically, within two minutes, we had a chance to go up 12. Instead, we were only up three within two minutes. That's You can't have that happen. There were multiple opportunities to the, to, for the Bearcats to extend the lead beyond that five, six, seven range. And yet, I got it up to 12 at half. But they never put their foot on the throats and crushed them. They just sort of let them hang around. You cannot do that in conference play. We will get killed every time. Absolutely. It's uh, another game where we finished the game with 28 fouls. There definitely was lots of qu- questionable officiating, 
but that's the second yeah. game this year that I can, I believe it's the second game uh, where we've had over 25 fouls. First was the Ohio State game. Uh, turnover count, 18 turnovers, exceptionally high. Uh, and then the free throw percentage is obviously what jumps out, where we shot 31 of 55. We shot 55 free throws and did not win this game. <laughs> 55? I looked at that stat. I'm sorry. I thought there was a typo on my phone. That is real. We actually shot 55 free throws, didn't you? Uh, that's unbelievable. It's shot, And that's why you can't actually, you know, there's lots of wild, wildly bad calls in this game. We shot 55 free throws, so we had plenty of opportunities <laughs> to take advantage of said bad officiating. It's uh, wow. It's it's a I, game to remember. It's honestly, you know how sometimes you'll have these performances where, you know, a, a role player steps up, wins you a game. You know the uh, this this is going to be the Chris McNeil game for all the yeah. wrong reasons. Unfortunately, I feel bad for the kid. I I really do. But having he, it's an it's an un, it's a terrible liability to have in your offense if your point guard is that bad of a shooter and the biggest surprise early in the year for me and i'm kind of want to take this to a bigger picture uh place for a second here i'm looking at this lineup and our and the guys who play a lot of minutes for the bearcats we've got trey scott jaron cumberland javen cumberland chris mcneil and then when he's healthy jay sarola as well the reason I mentioned those players specifically, they're all seniors. They're, they've all got one year with John Brandon. And so a lot of this rotation are guys that are not going to be here long term. And especially as it relates to Jaron Cumberland. And I know there's a lot more directions this is going to go now. This is a, Before the game, this is kind of where I thought this was heading. Do, does John Brandon need to consider the roster construction and how to potentially tweak his offense to make it more productive for a team that consists of the talent that we actually have. If we don't have a lot of ball, you know, on ball creators outside of Jaron Cumberland, if we don't have a ton of really creative passers, I don't, I see hesitation and decision-making on the team. If we don't have knockdown shooters, all things that I think play into the John Brandon style offense, does he need to scale this back and, and take a step back and mix in more, isolation plays where Jaron Cumberland just gets the ball and he's creating the offense for the rest of our team. Is this something, you know, what do you think about that conceptually? It's a brilliant idea. And I've never, I've never thought of it until you just mentioned that this team is going to be completely different next year. And that's just because we're losing everybody and we're gaining a lot of other people. There's going to be transfers. There's going to be Juco transfers coming in, grad transfers, all that stuff. We don't know at all what this team is going to look like next year. We know we got three freshmen coming in, but that doesn't mean I guarantee we have two or three more additional players that might come in and we might lose one or two players from transfers. So this team will look different. And to, you know, the thing about it is, is what, what you were saying is, is why doesn't he sort of, you know, transition his, his style based on the players he has. He's again, we talked about dying on that hill. He is benching Jaron. For that exact reason, if you're not going to play to my style, you're not you're not going to play at all. So I don't see him doing that. Should he? Absolutely. Is he going to? I don't see it. I think I have a a really good source um, who's very very close to John, and John is 
a creature of habit and he sticks to it and he doesn't change. And, um, you know, I asked him the, the, the question I asked was, will John ever leave Cincinnati? And I know this is gosh, talking years and years down the line, but I was just, I was just curious. I was just like, what kind of guy is he? He says he, he's a, he's a Cincinnati guy. He doesn't want to leave. Like he's, he's that type, like his parents live here, everything. It was hard for him just to go to Marshall. Um, you know, when he was transferring and everything. So, and when, before that he was at, I think what Moorhead state or something. So, um, he is a creature of habit and he sticks to his guns and he, it's either his way or the highway. It's pretty much that. And that's what I've been told. And that's what I believe is going to continue to happen. The reason I brought up that comment about here, you only have this collection of players for one year. It's dramatically different next year. And it's Cincinnati basketball. And we have Jaron Cumberland on our team. And not only that, Javen Cumberland's a stud. Unbelievable. We, we got his cousin on the team. He's not going to be out a long period of time. That was one of the, the blessings of this game is that Javen Cumberland surprisingly paid, played. Another odd injury thing, right? They ruled him out of the yeah. tournament and then brought him back in and he played. Great. He looked good out there. He knocked down shots again. He's one of two shooters on the team. But the, what I'm getting at is the expectation is to win games this year. This isn't a rebuilding season. When you have the AAC player, reigning AAC player of the year, the expectation is we build around that guy. Let's win some games. Let's get to the tournament and keep the momentum of the program going. But instead, if you're not willing to make show any sort of what I would call humility, which is just, hey, here's here's the roster I'm inheriting. Obviously, we have we also have grad transfers. We have guys who have experience, but it's just a new collection of players. And for those guys who are here and have been here, Jaron. Trey, Keith, the foundation of the team, how do I make this so that they can continue thriving and we can play around their skill sets? I don't think it means you have to completely eliminate your style and your culture, but what it does mean is you're putting your players, the players that, are, that currently comprise uh, the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball team, you're putting them in a position to actually win games and successfully play ball. But instead, you've got a situation where the offense looks a mess. We're turning the ball over like crazy. And now we're starting to see some def defensive slippage uh, with Bowling Green scoring 91 on us. I know that's an overtime. Uh, but even with that, I mean, they, they picked us apart there at the end of the game. Without their best player. I mean, without, without their, their best, best player, player. they would do with that. And, and again, the final thing, too, to say with, with the contradictoriness is with, with Brennan is – he always talks about how he three point shooting squad. I want good selections. I want our good shot selections. We know we only have two three point shooters on this team, and you're going to take the, one of them out. That just goes against what your game plan is. Like it just doesn't make sense. I, I, it just tells me that it's not clicking. Trey yeah. Scott is a guy at the end of the season last year. We saw knock down three point shots. He's not taking them at a at a consistent clip so far this season. He shot one three pointer tonight. Uh, Jaron's obviously completely out of rhythm. Let's move aside from Jaron. Keith Williams shot one three-pointer. I've seen multiple times this season where Keith gets the ball swung to him on the perimeter, has a wide-open three-pointer, and instead of shooting it, takes a few dribbles inside, potentially gets an offensive foul, or just takes a contested layup that I know Keith is exceptional at driving the ball, but when the ball swings to you in this type of offense and you're open, you do have to shoot it. And the same goes for McNeil. McNeil's completely losing his confidence as well. It's... It's essentially, it's just not sticking. It doesn't seem like this team is able to grasp the offense, not to their own fault. It's because it doesn't play to their strengths. 
And so his job as coach of this team is to find a way that the, this team's strengths are actually actually showing up on the court. And that's where I think, you know, we need to see him maybe play a little bit more caveman ball, more isolation. Jaron's good at that. He really is. He makes it's not just him scoring the ball. He finds shooters and corners. He makes incredible cross court passes for open threes. He's a stud. So let's treat him Mm -hmm. like it. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Uh, There's just a lot to talk about. Um, I did like that. um, I was talking about vote. I feel like he was sort of very quiet in the first half, and he definitely his leadership sort of to show in the second half, which um, was good. He had um, uh, there was a bad foul on on Davenport that he he he, the TV or the camera was right on him, and he was yelling at. Davenport to get back into the huddle. He was just trying to be a leader, which I, I really appreciated. Um, and then soon after that uh, was Zach Harvey, and he had two or three flashes where I was like, okay, that is what we thought we were going to get for a while. Um, and then, of course, he made, a, I think, a turnover right afterwards. But he did have the flashes. So what were your thoughts on some of the the role players? Well, I'm glad to see some flashes out of Zach Harvey. He's, I would love to see him get as many minutes as possible where we can still win games because he's going to be a major player for us down the road. His talent is there. It's clear. He's one of the best passers on the team Mm -hmm. with the ball in his hands. Now, I don't always want the ball running through him. He's not ready for that kind of usage, but the vision's there. His basketball IQ's there. The college game is moving a little bit quickly for him right now, but I thought tonight is the first night offensively we saw some real – we saw some steps forward from Zach Harvey, and defensively he's exceeding expectations for a freshman – uh, his instincts are exceptional. He really he he jumps into passing lanes off ball, and his man to man defense is energetic, and and his athleticism is is showing on that side of the ball. I, I'm I'm pleasantly surprised, or not pleasantly surprised. Actually, uh, that's not the term, but I'm I'm happy with where Zach Harvey's heading. And I thought tonight he's one of the few positives we got from tonight's game. I think Sorolla missing is is a big deal a bigger deal than maybe I would have realized initially when you see the news. And we just have no front court depth. Our rebounding has been a problem early in the season. And Mamadou Diara is not ready to step into any sort of serious role. Frankly, he's probably not going to be ready during his time at UC. He's in over, he's, he's just not able to process the game quickly enough. He's, he's behind on rotations defensively. His athleticism doesn't pop in the game the way it should. And, um, I, it- yeah, I put it well. No, I was just gonna say. It, it, so the way you talked about it is, is there was two or three plays where he's so almost like I. The way I describe Mamadou Diara is like he's like a kid in a candy store. Like he gets so excited out there, but then he just doesn't know what to do when he gets the ball. He just he he messes on even on defense too. Now there was one hustle play and and John was pretty mad at at, at the at. Diara, where the ball was, it was on the other side. Bowling Green had the ball, and and Mamadou just didn't die for the ball. I think he wound up getting even getting called for a foul. That you get on the floor, um, but for the most part, you know he does hustle. The game is just moving way too fast, and I agree with you. I don't know if it'll ever, it'll ever catch up to him. I've heard that he's able to basically jump out of the arena. He's so athletic, but just doesn't know what to do with it. It's just it's not something we can bank on. I, I got a little bit excited this soft season when they talked about his shooting, and I saw in the Midnight Madness scrimmage. They, had, you know, he, he took he took and made a few three point shots, but here we are playing real basketball. He's been open plenty of times. He's not shooting those, which tells me Brandon said you don't you don't have the authority to shoot this shot. So I go back to 
why aren't we working on with Mamadou exclusively on rolling to the basket, catching the ball, and learning how to finish quickly? Because if that's all he's being asked to do, that's all I want him really focusing on. It's great that he can knock down a jump shot, but that's not a game shot for Mamadou Diara. So if we need him to be a contributor, which now we do, or we're just going completely small and getting destroyed on the boards game in, game out, uh, it just it, it presents a, a real challenge for Brandon over the next three to four weeks because Sorolla is apparently not going to be on the court. Yeah, and I don't know what to do. We did okay. Let's see. We lost uh, the rebound in game 47 to 44, but, you know, we're going to have to go small until Sorolla comes back because I just don't trust DR out there at all. Um, gosh, I don't know. We get in foul trouble at all with Voter or Scott. We're in big trouble, especially for this next slate of games coming up because these are some big boys we're coming up against. Vote's um, done a better job after the Ohio State game generally staying out of foul trouble, which is a huge mm-hmm. compliment for Chris Vote yes. because of what we know he struggled with last year at NKU. Chris Vote's easily the most pleasant surprise of the season for me. Um, a true surprise. I had no real expectations for him when he got cleared. I did not realize it would be as important as it is. Um, he's been a very good substitute for the for the productivity we lost with uh, Brooks going to the University of Miami in the offseason. So Chris Vogt, very pleasantly surprised with him. And I actually do have an affinity for a lot of the young guys on the bench. I love Micah Adams-Woods, Jeremiah Davenport, Zach Carvey. That triumvirate is very fun. They're not going to play heavy minutes. But I am going to ask the question that if Chris McNeil's going to continue struggling the way he does, is it worth it to get Micah some more run out there? His feel offensively is great. He's a little sloppy in terms of turnovers, but I don't see he may not have the same baggage from a jump shot or confidence perspective that that McNeil currently has. Well, I think the problem with that is is that Chris McNeil, although he struggles, is showing a ton of effort and showing a ton of at least understanding of the offense that John wants to run. As I stated, he is getting those open looks and that the offense is opening up for him. So I think John will do the opposite. Oh, yeah, you're missing, but you're doing what I want you to do, so I'm going to keep you in. Um, But do I think Mike Adams should get in? Absolutely. Uh, I think he definitely needs to get some minutes. He only had – I don't even know how many minutes he had today. I don't have the stat in front of me, but he couldn't have had more than three or four minutes in that game. He was – I never saw him but one or two real – timeouts no he's he's not playing a lot of minutes i don't it's pretty clear and the insight you shared earlier about brandon is is good because i think it, it might explain why some decisions why certain decisions are made when it's not clear from the outside looking in i i see a ton of talent in micah adams woods i see a guy that has you know a good 10 minutes a game that he could play for us but instead mcneil is is completely has completely usurped that role to the, in my opinion, to the detriment of the team to an extent, because I just think he's better off if he gets more rest, and we're better off if we don't have a non-shooter at the point guard position on the court. You know, ninety-five percent of the time. Yep. No, I agree. Uh, what do you think of Tre- Trevor Moore? So I put I put Trevor Moore. I'm glad to see he went one for one from the three point line tonight. Trevor Moore for me is a, is kind of in the same vein as Mamadou Diara. He's not as lost on the court. He has a role defensively, and the effort level's there. But his confidence, he just doesn't have confidence on the basketball court. And I heard Terry Nelson, not during tonight's game, but during the Illinois State game, 
Which, quick tangent on that, the reason we're so revved up about this Bowling Green game is because of this Illinois State game. I know yeah. this game, if it existed in a vacuum, we're still revved up. But the fact that we needed a, a somewhat miraculous comeback against Illinois State two nights ago, you pile this kind of performance on top of that, and it really changes what your expectations are for the rest of the season. Um but yeah, in terms of what I heard Terry Nelson say about Trevor Moore was almost a, a, an exasperated tone saying, you know, we talk about confidence all season and you talk about bringing this new mentality to the team, but you're not showing it in the games. More pump fakes, more uh, just just kind of standing around on offense and not having a true role or, or feeling comfortable on the court. What are you seeing? Uh, the same thing. I mean, he came in, had a huge three, and I was like, oh, okay, great. This is the the Trevor that I wanted to see. And then immediately next position has a terrible offensive foul. And it's like, oh, okay, back to it. And then he, I think, I mean, the Illinois State game had, I think he literally dribbled the ball out of bounds in one of the possessions. Like, I've never seen that other than, like, you know, when I was coaching fifth grade basketball seven years ago. So, um I think there's still a lot of work that has to be done with him, but I don't know if his game fits Brandon's game, you know, and, and fits Brandon's scheme. So I, you know, I don't know the only bright spot, right. In theory, a guy who can knock down 65, three pointers in five minutes is a guy who fits a system that thrives on three point shots. However, he right now falls into the bucket of a shooter who can't shoot at least during games. True. True. Uh, I was going to say the bright light about the Illinois State game is I barely saw any of it. I, not to do on a huge rant with the flow hoops, but I mean, it was the worst viewing experience I can imagine or I can remember in a long time. Way worse than the Bowling Green incident many, many years ago. Um, on that note, on that note, Scotty, let me bring in a, a, uh, a deserved hero. <laughs> of the Paradise Jam tournament so far, Ryan Hummer. I do believe he's ready to join us, so let's try and get him on the line here. We've now got the legend, Hummer, on the line from St. Thomas. Hummer, for starters, thank you for doing such an amazing job compensating for Flow Sports' atrocity of a live stream. Scotty was just talking about how bad the Flow Sports experience was. How are you doing, buddy? My arm is sore. Uh, apparently I need to work out a little more. Uh, holding that camera up gets, gets pretty tiring. I bet. I bet. the But the camera work was good. I, I found that you were tracking the game well. Toward the end, you started providing score updates and time updates. Very much appreciated. But before we go more into the flow sports experience, which <laughs> fortunately for you, you did not have to experience. It how are you talk. feeling? It is the talk of the uh, – it's still the talk of the town down here. How, how are you feeling, though, about the Bearcats' performance against Bowling Green? First half, I thought we looked we looked really good. Uh, you know, the, the flow to the offense was there. We still shot a ton of foul shots in the first half. Uh, missed a lot in the first half, too. I think that goes unnoticed because of the second half, how glaringly obvious it was they were targeting Chris McNeil. And I think that's maybe where John Brandon maybe got a little outcoached uh, by not taking... McNeil out of the game when he was just so clearly not hitting free throws and his shooting performance tonight was just kind of for the part of the rest of the season. It just wasn't that great. Could but, you, could you visibly see it in Chris McNeil's like body language or facial expressions? Like was the confidence just seeping out of him? Yeah. And, and, you know, I don't like the, the harp on fans 
too much in the stadium because if you were watching, you definitely heard me yell some stuff. Uh, but there was a couple guys, especially on the Bearcat side, that were really in that small of a gym calling out the guys. And you know, it's just it's tough to watch when you when you actually see someone yelling at a at a 19 year old kid or you know 20 year old kid about about his free throws. Uh, you know, it definitely doesn't help. And you, when you're also looking at that game, you know, the stats say it all. We shot over 50 free throws. You know, Bowling Green beat us by fouling us. That's that's really was what they were going after. They were trying to get Chris Vote out of the game early, but Vote didn't really take the take the bait until later in the fourth quarter uh, as the game was starting to get a little more physical. Um, but, you know, some other things that were that were kind of not noticed is Bowling Green was playing really physical. Uh, at one point, McNeil, before he went on that just horrendous, uh, horrendous showing when it comes to foul shooting, he was basically tackled at midcourt. Uh, by and I don't know the names for the Bowling Green players, so I apologize here. But the number sticks out, number twenty-two. He basically tackled him, and he was he was getting a little feisty all throughout the game. He did it to Chris Vote. He, he basically it was a, a pass, a cross-court pass to McNeil. He jumps up in the air to get it, and it ends up on his. He doesn't even land on his. He lands on his back. That's how that's how hard he was hit, and they just called it an, a regular foul. That guy should have been taken out of the game. It, it was that part was hard, tough to watch. Well, uh, from a perspective of Jaron, I know you mentioned people were kind of yelling. Was there any incident where during a timeout, um, a moment in the second half, a moment going into halftime where you saw something? We talked about it for multiple, multiple minutes of I just don't know what happened. There wasn't. We talked about from the Drake perspective uh, where Jaron definitely looked lethargic, looked um, uninterested in being out there. But. I could not find that from the Illinois game, State game. Well, from the couple of images I was able to pull up on my laptop, I couldn't find that from the Illinois State game. Um, but I certainly could not find it at all from the um, the game tonight. So, what what did you see anything at all he, he, about? He was hurt. That argument uh, in the first half. Jaron uh, went hard to the floor. He went to go shoot foul shots. Brand, he kind of looked over at Brandon like he was going to wait, like play it off. And he was visibly limping up and down two full sets up the court before Brandon finally pulled him. And Cumberland goes off the court, off to the side. He doesn't return back until the end of the first half when they, they check him back in. Uh, but you could still tell he was hurt. Even when he wasn't playing in the second half, uh, He was it was basically an ankle injury. But he was nursing his ankle even while kind of just standing in the huddle. So we, we kind of knew that he wasn't going to play a lot of minutes. He was, he was actually visibly, you could see him talking with Brandon about wanting to get back into the game. So I don't think it was an effort, an effort thing with Jaron. It was truly an injury. Um, but Brandon maybe maybe could have done a better job of getting him out of the game quicker uh, as soon as that injury happened. I was very surprised they left him in after those foul shots. They should have they should have taken him out. So are you surprised then that he was brought back into the game in overtime? That's what Scotty and I out you know from Cincinnati, Ohio were most confused about because a lot of our talk and speculation was that it's hard to say this was injury-related. If you're going to only play him nine minutes in the second half but bring him back in into overtime, it seems a little more disciplinary, and you think that it is injury-related, but should he have been brought back into the game then in overtime? And that's a, we were discussing that a little bit too because you know if you are going to play him in the second half, why aren't you playing him the whole second half? When you watched him come back in, I know it's harder to see, obviously, from an, uh, from an iPhone video. <laughs> but or or he, the, he the worst stream of all time. Or the worst stream uh, 
Flow Flow Festival 2019. <laughs> um, yeah, no, he 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 had a little bit of a limp to him. He he definitely was not 100 percent at the end of the game. Um, you know that 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 part was a shame. But also, Brandon ran some weird sets out there. He had Mama Do and uh, uh, Chris Vote on the court at the same time, which I thought was just a a travesty to have. Uh, you know, vote with how, with how good he's been. He still has, uh, I give his hands a C. <laughs> he does not have the world's greatest hands. Uh, and then just having Mama do out there, he just, it's Mama do nothing at the moment. So <laughs> I muted my mic, but I was cracking up at that whole thing. That's great. <laughs> we were saying it in the core, right? I called it, we were out in the stand and I said something to that turn to the guy next to me and I said, what in the world is going on on a day where we have Chris Vote and Mama Do on the same court? <laughs> that should not be a, a set we're running out there if we're trying to play big. Uh, but no, Bowling Green, I think I think we need to give them a little bit of, of some credit. I definitely think they out we were out coached this game. I think Brandon needs to shoulder a little more of that responsibility. Uh, but those guys were just they were playing hard every single minute of that game, and they were playing incredibly physical. And it definitely got us out of our rhythm in that second half. We were we were not running really any offense for the first seven to eight minutes of that that opening half, second half. Did you feel like that that the stale play? There was just not a, not a flow that occurred at all, and they I think they scored. I think they said something like it was six to two for the first like eleven minutes of the second half. And was it based on both teams just not? Um, getting in a good flow or like just bad shot selections. It just it felt like I couldn't figure out all why nobody on either side was scoring. It looked a lot. If you want to get a comparison for a game that we all were able to watch because it wasn't on flow sports, it looked like Ohio state. It looked like that, that first half of Ohio state where we were just shooting very bad shots. We weren't waiting, waiting for the open man. We weren't, we having good ball movement. We weren't setting good screens. We weren't, we weren't being able to run the pick and pick and roll. And I think a, a lot of that too was was Bowling Green was able to play to the fact that we don't have the best player in, in the conference on the court at the time. Yeah, so they're they're able to focus more on because we actually did shoot pretty well from the perimeter. I mean, we didn't shoot great, but you know, I think what was the final? You guys had that probably in front of you, but it was like 34 percent from from three point land. I think we shot like, but the two point, the, you know, our, our field goal percentage is what was really dismal at what thirty seven percent. I mean, we missed a lot of easy layups. Yeah, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't the three-point shot. It wasn't the, the shooting from the field. It really was limited to the free-throw line, and, uh, and a ton of those misses, I think 11 of those misses, came from McNeil. I did want to just chime in. Jaron Cumberland, per John Brannon, is dealing with the toe and ankle injuries, and that's what was driving him not being in the game, and mostly in most of the second half. And in overtime, he was just simply trying to fight through pain. Um in, in some respects, that's that's reassuring that it's not more of the same drama that we've heard in terms of, uh, you know, Jaron Cumberland having to sit out games because of a coach's decision. In others, injuries can linger, and we have another game tomorrow against a, a team in Valparaiso who we should beat, but without Jaron well, Cumberland, it's a, it's a heck of a lot more interesting. Let's touch on the coach's decision uh, for a second here. So... Uh, I've been able to be privy to some, I think, uh, some privileged information here. Uh, but the what what's going around is the reason why it was the coach's decision was made was not an issue with practice. It was actually with the Drake game when the Cats were up. I think 
by 25 or 27 points, uh, coach called for Cumberland to come back in the game, but he actually put his hood up and covered his face like he was refusing to go back in the game. And Brandon wasn't having any of, any of that. Yeah, so that's why he was actually benched the second game as, as a punishment for what he did in one particular incident in-game. So what else are you seeing at the Paradise Jam? I know tonight's game didn't go the way we thought we thought it would go, but how's, how's the experience been in person? A ton of UC fans come down here. Um, so a lot more than what, what I would thought. The, the, the gymnasium, I, I don't know. It's like a, basically like a glorified high school gym. Uh, but the place actually rocks in... The level of fanness in general is way above average. So everybody there has a, gr- a good knowledge of the team. So it's a little different than going, you know, to say Fifth Third Arena when it's sold out, and you might have a lot of casual fans there. Um, but yeah, the experience overall, it's it's the flow hoops thing is definitely the talk of it. <laughs> uh, it's hysterical how how much of that that's getting around. Um, do you uh, did you have do they show the games at all on local TV or do you have to get flow hoops to watch the games as well? Yeah, you need flow hoops to watch it as well. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so it was it was funny because I didn't get to go last night's game. By the time our flight got in, it was just it was too late. Uh, so we planned on this one. I was I was in the same boat as you guys last night trying to find a place to watch it. <laughs> Yeah, I did the unfortunate thing of having a watch party, so I had multiple people relying on me. Um, <laughs> needless to say, I was not the, the 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 best host. It was not my fault, Flo. It was not. Yeah. Well, you know, when we were on the ride home, too, uh, actually, it was really nice because we technically didn't come with the boosters. We didn't come with that, and they still hooked us up with the, the university, hooked us up with the free cab ride. But we're, I'm sitting on the way back, and it's like, oh, we have to do a therapy session. Because uh, <laughs> we did just lose to, to Bowling Green. Uh, and honestly, that's a game we should not have lost. Even looking back at it, we purely got fouled into a, a loss. And that's so, so hard. Yeah, this is <laughs> we should not be losing this game. And I'm, I'm sitting here recounting everything that we we've been speculating on in terms of what the decision not to play Jaron. And it's still an odd explanation. I mean, it's just you, your star player is sitting out in the second half, apparently because of an injury. And to just let him come back in injured, it just seems short sighted. Then I don't the whole thing just reeks of odd. Am I overreacting to that? Is this something we shouldn't be making a big deal of or is, is there something there? I think we should be uh, we should be reacting to it. If you're looking at the the cats and we're sitting there saying, well, we think this team. You and I were very high on this. We I think you said six wins. I said or six losses. I said seven. Bowling Green was not one of those. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and and so here we are sitting talking about losing to a team that we definitely should not have lost to. And to make matters worse, uh, Bowling Green flew down on the same plane as the cats. Uh, so. They, the cats have the pleasure of, of riding back with Bowling Green as well. <laughs> That's tough. <laughs> but, well, I mean, it's unacceptable to, to first off, and I know we don't like the hound arrest because I actually think this obviously benefits the cats that they got to the, the line 50 times. There should never be a game where any team gets to the line 50 freaking times. There was over, it was like, uh, I think it was a, uh, 80-something free throws between two, both teams. The amount of off-the-ball fouls they were calling just 
and like I said, this is for, I'm I'm even also going for you know saying Bowling Green with getting these these calls against them as well. It's just it ruins it ruins the flow of the game, and it, it can make this product so hard to watch. I cannot wait for the day the NCAA does something about that. <laughs> well, to put a put a bow on this in some respects, a couple things. There is reason for Bearcat fans to react to this game, to have opinions on this game, and to speculate as to what needs to change going forward. Because I know it's nice to think about the system gradually improving as the season goes on, becoming a better team and peaking in March. But you have to get to March 1st, and we need to find a way to win games. And losing a game and dropping a game like this to Bowling Green creates some serious concerns about how we're going to handle a very tough out-of-conference schedule and even in conference, you know, we've got games coming up against Xavier, a very frisky Vermont team that took Virginia to the to the end of the game. Uh, Tennessee, there are lots of tough games on the schedule. We've got Memphis twice. We've got Houston twice. And we've got, you know, other opponents who road games, especially in the AAC, are going to be tough. The season's not over by any means. I see this team still succeeding long term. It's critical we get Jaron healthy and operating on all cylinders, that has not happened yet this year. He's shown flashes, but he's not shooting at the same clip. He's falling. He's drifting in and out of games more so than we've ever seen uh, in the last two years with Jaron Cumberland, and I would attribute that to the offensive style because we're not running a system that really re- relies on his usage to be incredibly high. But Hummer, me and Scotty did speculate earlier that it, it might be time to kick up that usage a little bit. If he is healthy enough to get out there and play – Maybe it's time to put the ball more in Jaron Cumberland's hands and just run that ISO, that, that ISO offense. Not full-time, but just mix that in a little more because it does create good shots for the team. Well, you, you in the first half, so I know you probably didn't get to watch too much of the first half. When Jaron was in, for the most part, you felt like the offense was about get Jaron the ball. There is definitely, I think, an uptick that's going to be coming in usage form because Brandon knows and we've heard comments before saying how we have all these pieces of the offense that haven't been instituted. Something I noticed tonight is they actually ran a different inbound play um, from, from the full press perspective where they, you know, lately we've been seeing that they've been leaving the, the, the throw in. They haven't been guarding the guy throwing the ball in tonight. They actually ran one where they were doing that. I mean, so we're starting to see some things that are popping up that are, that are different. Um, we did see, I think, a little bit more of the of the Jaron play in the first half, or trying at least to do that. And then they honestly did a lot of it with, I don't know if he's just trying to get McNeil in a rhythm, but McNeil was on a lot of ISO plays, a lot of driving to the hoop from McNeil. He just wasn't finishing. I think there's still a lot of hope. I still think there's a lot of games that we pull off. You go into Centos and you beat Zapier. Game they lost is tonight, just by the way, a- guys. Did they? Hey, I, yeah. I did not know. It's, I have a, uh, a really good fan, friend who's a Xavier, who's a Xavier uh, fan, like diehard, and he would normally text me immediately as the game ends. I have not received a text from him, and I wondered why. That's why. Yeah, um, they lost the four, so it's not exactly Bowling Green, but uh, <laughs> yeah, no, they, they lost by five. Uh, we were, it was funny. We were in the car watching it and saying, well, just, at least it's not a total loss for the night Xavier lost. <laughs> Yeah, I feel but like to, uh, like to lose when we lose. <laughs> yes, that's true. Same nights typically, but uh, no, I, I think this is just going to be a small blemish. I think that as we talked, Coomer, if if John, if Jaron, if everybody can live peacefully and we start to play 
holding hands, singing Kumbaya. This team has the talent to go so far, and I believe that they will. I'm maybe a little bit on the optimistic side, but um, I think this is just a small bump. And I've always said sometimes you need a loss like that to really knock some sense into the team and 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 move forward. So I'm 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 sad. I'm mad, but tomorrow I'll wake up. And with luckily, we've got another game immediately to, to flush it all out and move forward. 5.45 Eastern time tip-off. Charge yeah. that phone, buddy. Get that phone charged. Oh. I might bring my iPad for this one. <laughs> I, I'm the same way, Scotty. I think the team, I'm going to wake up tomorrow feeling a lot better. I feel a lot better after talking to both the both of yeah. you for the last hour. I, uh, the sky is not falling. We've said it before. It wasn't falling after the Ohio State game. It certainly wasn't falling after a close win against Illinois State. These are young college players. There's going to be fluctuations in performance, but it it is appropriate and justifiable to have honest criticisms and honest questions about the decisions our coach is making. And the players are new to him. The team is new. The system is new to the players. There's going to be a learning period where he needs to learn what the rotations will work, and I think we're going to see certain guys probably phased out of the lineup, barring injury, and we're going to see guys, uh, certain guys play more minutes. And as they get more comfortable, there's a ton of core talent here to build around. Jaron, Javen, Trey, Keith, that's a really good four. And if we can get them operating in a system that works for all of them and, and plays to their strengths – and introduces some new concepts that gets them easier looks than they maybe saw in past years. This team should be an NCAA tournament team. Maybe they don't reach the 25-win mark uh, that I initially expected, but I still think it's a play. You know, there's Jaron Cumberland. I put so much stock in having Jaron Cumberland on our team. Well, on an unrelated note, since it sounds like we're, we're wrapping this up, I will point out that the warm-ups that you see is rocking are dope. They have these, uh, like, cut-off, I don't know, it's like a hoodie, but with, like, cut-off sleeves with, like, this red-black fade into it. It's phenomenal. And Trey, Trey Scott's shoes were just on point tonight. <laughs> I so, will say those warm-ups are, they have them in the white. I don't know if they have them in the black, but I, I do know I've seen them in the whites, and now they've got them in the reds as well. They are they're pretty sick. Yeah, even if my wife notices it, then they're pretty sick. And she even said, those are pretty sick. I was like looking at Julian, like if you want to tell your mom anything for Christmas, like that right there, that right there. But well, Scotty, yeah, unrelated. We, uh, we dedicate these podcasts. Hopefully you probably know this by now. We dedicate each and every podcast to a former Bearcat player. Given your special guest hosting appearance today. And thank you again for doing this. It's been fun talking to you and getting to meet you. Finally, we are, we're all Twitter friends. And now given that we've, spoken through Skype. Let's call ourselves real friends. Who do you want to dedicate today's podcast episode to? So in times like this, we need somebody to have a little fight in them to push us to the next level. And I was just showing a buddy who I I was, he was uh, at the watch party and he was like, I don't understand, you know, he's not a big basketball guy. And, and I was talking about Xavier and he's like, I just don't understand the rivalry. And so I showed them the brawl, and he had no idea. So I'm going to honor this to Mr. Yancey Gates. I'm hoping that he can, we can fight our way out of this and move forward. So, Yancey, this one's for you. Beautiful. Never a more appropriate time to dedicate this to Yancey Gates. 
hey, it is time to fight our way out of this. That's a perfect way to put it. And on that note, this podcast episode is dedicated to Yancey Gates. Cheers to you, sir, for your great four-year career with the Bearcats and that mean right cross. Yancey, cheers. Brought to you by Flow Hoops. <laughs>